Hello and welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm alongside Jesse Parker Humphreys and Becky Taylor-Gill. Jesse, big night last night. We were at the Football Writers Association tribute dinner for Emma Hayes. I was on the tap waters and <laughs> a few beverages for yourself, I think, maybe. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was a fun night. Uh Lots of people, lots of nice people to see and hang out with and cute to pay tribute to Emma Hayes. Um, some great speeches, um, some funny speeches as well. But yeah, it was good. Flo's being so smug that she's not hungover. I am. I'm feeling really smug. I'm feeling really smug about it. But I just can't do like, I'm not drinking. I'm doing a sort of a little like hybrid ja- dry jan anyway. But I just can't drink at those sorts of events because sometimes there can just be like an endless, it's like being at a wedding. They can just be like an endless supply of wine. And before you know it, you're really struggling to see like <laughs> the wood from the trees. And it's obviously like, I get a bit nervous, like lots of people, like industry people in the room. And I think chances of me embarrassing myself quite high. So I'm just gonna, and then I can't sleep either if I drink. So it ends up on a school night. It's just a recipe for disaster. Wow. I mean... That was a very old person explanation, Flo. <laughs> I can't lie. I mean, is it surprising? Come on. I'm literally no, like the dad dad of all time. I um, saw um I saw a, a Chloe Petz clip recently where she was talking about being a child geezer. And that's kind of how I imagine Flo. And <laughs> me like, and Chloe Petz just like, have so much in common, honestly. Came out of the womb a forty year old dad. <laughs> Genuinely. Genuinely, that is my brand. The fact that my mum bought me a saw for my 13th birthday is all you need to know. Because <laughs> I just love, like, I love doing DIY and just, like, making things. And, like, oh, one time I undid the whole VHS player and then just put it back together again. Jesus Christ. Really fun activity. I don't know if it tops my brother, who famously got a filing cabinet, asked for and got a filing cabinet for his sixth birthday, I believe. <laughs> Um, but then was naughty and it had to be taken away before the day was up. <laughs> what was he doing? What, like he was like cabinet? filing, filing things naughtily or? No, no, he was naughty. So therefore his filing cabinet, which was his main present, was taken away. He wanted the filing cabinet, I don't know, to file his files. I don't know what that is. Just like so Edward Parker Humphreys. <laughs> just really, that makes a lot of sense. Sorry, but imagine having a filing cabinet as your main present. While other people are asking for a Game Boy Color, this guy wants a filing cabinet. Okay, that does top. That does an top organized man, an organized man. Uh, but yeah, it was it was um, a really nice evening because I've been to a couple of those events, and I think Emma Hayes' tribute one is is the best of the lot. And the woman is just so damn good at speeches. Like she went up at the end of the night because she had sort of tribute speeches before Vic Akers, who she obviously worked with at Arsenal, but a very long term family friend, especially of her dad, who recently passed away. Frank Kirby did a little Q&A with Jackie Oatley, which was really sweet. And then Carly Telford did a brilliant speech about how Emma had cut her and then re-signed her. And now she's working back at Chelsea. And it was it was really good. But Emma's speech, damn, that woman knows how to work a crowd. No notes, straight up. First thing she said when she got on the mic was, I hope my fucking funeral's as good as this. And <laughs> honestly, the room was howling. It was just 10 out of 10. And I think sitting there, I was thinking, this is what I'm going to miss the most when she goes to the States is like, nobody does it like Emma Hayes in press conferences. For better or worse, sometimes, sometimes we go off a cliff with the takes. But 
we're not going to have that anymore. Uh, well, at, at club level anyway, and I'm going to be absolutely gutted about that. She is very, very box office. And I think there was a bit of me during the United game where I was like, I really hope Chelsea win this because if not, it could, tonight could go south. I'd have been intrigued to see what <laughs> she'd have been like if Chelsea hadn't won. True. Um, but yeah, she's she's an amazing speaker. She's obviously just someone who like, you know, I think she understandably pisses people off at points. And I think if I was a rival fan, she'd piss me off too. If I'm a Chelsea fan, sometimes she pisses me off. But at the same time, she's someone <laughs> who you can understand why people obviously want to run through brick walls for her. Well, I think you need those characters. I think that's why people in the Premier League miss Mourinho so much is because some managers just have this aura and this way with words that draws you in and keeps you on your toes. And they're just, they're just amazing characters and and presenters and leaders and and you and like actors in in the the drama that is football so i think we need them but um she's yeah. so barclays she is she's so barclays so it's so barclays. sad hey do you know what was really barclays oh perfect segue lauren james's <laughs> celebration so let's talk about chelsea <laughs> manchester united next Chelsea beating Manchester United 3-1 in the end, a Lauren James hat-trick. And Jesse, there was like some squeaky bum moments. Emma Hayes saying afterwards she thought it was Chelsea's best performance of the season. You and I were both a bit like, mm, not so sure, but under like weird circumstances, having like dominated the first half from the majority of the first half and probably nearly being able to be like 3-0 up within the first 20 minutes. Once Manchester United sort of figured out, upping the intensity, upping the press, passing the ball a little bit quicker, they worked out how they could actually play through Chelsea quite quickly and create chances. But because it took them so long and Chelsea didn't actually make the most of the dominant moments they had, it ended up a lot nervier than it needed to be. Yeah, it was kind of a weird game. I think the thir first 30 minutes were really good. And I think United were bad, but I think Chelsea deserved credit for it. And Hayes spoke in her presser afterwards a lot about the f her feeling that Chelsea couldn't be a counter-attacking team anymore, that they needed to be a team who could have control over games, that that's sort of what was stopping them from being like elite, elite, elite. Um, and I think you saw that in the first 30 minutes from what Chelsea were, were able to do. And I feel like it was one of those things where it was sort of very game state based. Obviously, Chelsea, I thought, yeah, Chelsea could have scored more, but LJ obviously took her goals really, really well. Both great finishes. And then the United goal sort of before half time, just, I guess, showed sort of some of Chelsea's naivety, I think, in defensively. And I think also was a little bit unlucky. I thought it was a really good block from Buchanan. And then it, it's kind of like lucky that it falls to Lad's feet. But like, if you get into those situations in the box, that's something that can happen. Um, and then in the second half, though, I will say, I thought there was some nervy moments, but Chelsea did well to ride them and eventually get back control. And I think by the time LJ scored her third... Um, it felt like it felt like an even game. It never felt like United were on top. Um, and obviously the third sort of gave Chelsea the, the cushion they needed. Um, but I thought United would, were just generally pretty poor. Um, but I think for Chelsea, who were coming off the back of a nervy West Ham performance, obviously adjusting to life without Sam Kerr, um, 
are still sort of rejigging that defense. I thought it was a pretty, um, it was a, it was a good win. You know, it wasn't like a win that blows everyone away, but I think they, there was a lot of stuff to be happy about, even if it wasn't like a full 90 minute performance. Becky, we know Lauren James loves playing against Manchester United, her old side. She loves to troll. But would you say her celebration for that first goal where she went full Adebayor, not full Adebayor because she didn't run across the other end of the pitch, but she decided to completely ignore the home fans <laughs> and go straight to the away fans and really, really drink it in and wind them up. Would you say that's the best United trolling she's done so far? I think so. It's just, it is the fact that she like naturally is on the side of her home fans and is like, nah. I'm going over to rub this in. I just think it's so funny. It's it's. I had like tweeted about two minutes before she scored the goal that her, when she went over to take a, a corner and they're, you know, booing her and she like, she smirks at them. I'm just like, she's just so like, it's just perfect stuff. And to just follow that up with a goal pretty immediately and then go and celebrate in front of them. It's just like, we need we just need more of that. We need more of that in women's football in general. We need more of it in the WSL. It's just great fun. Yeah. And I love her. Agreed. And actually, Jesse, I was sitting next to your brother during the game and he's an Arsenal fan. So he was there sort of undercover and obviously finding Chelsea's win a little bit irritating. But he did turn to me and say, do you know what's been really good about this game? There's been a lot of booing from the fans and we need more <laughs> of that. And I said, you're speaking my language, Ed. We love booing. <laughs> we love booing. We really do love booing. Um, and I think probably one of the biggest things I think that Lauren James can take from this performance is I do think that she has often struggled in these games against the top three sides so Arsenal City United and I think she has as we know and we've seen time and time again and at World Cups and in the WSL like she has this tendency to get frustrated and drift out of games and lose her head and I think yesterday was really important because the fact that she scores early and she gets that confidence I think really changed things and like I think proved a point to herself because her form at Stamford Bridge is immense what was that crazy stat Jesse that she scored more than any Chelsea men or well she's got the most goals at Stamford Bridge even more than any Chelsea men player right so her her form at that ground she loves the space that she has to work with I think it was an important game for her because I think it's been a a difficult few months um, for her and I think proving that she can match and play in those big games and show what she's made of is really important. Yeah, I mean, I don't think she's ever struggled against United. I think she always plays her best against United um, and she's been instrumental in probably our last three league wins against them at this point but I do I understand like she definitely does have that tendency if she can't quite get into the game she doesn't always know how to but I think this season's been the best example of how that's changed more and more she scored nine goals in her past five WSL appearances and she scored that many in her previous 40 um It'll be interesting to see whether this is, you know, a purple patch or like a player really stepping up. I can, it's it's hard to judge because she's such an elite finisher. You can't really say, oh, you know, she's sort of on like a bit of a finishing hot streak because she she just can finish like that. She's obviously got that kind of technique, um, but it does really feel like right now 
she's got a lot of confidence. And I think what's really exciting from LJ's perspective is you're right. She's had like hard moments. I think especially, you know, sort of off the pitch, almost more than on the pitch, I'd say, um, over the past six months, but it doesn't feel like it's affecting her on a, um, like consecutive games basis. Like I feel like maybe a year ago, having the game she had against West Ham where she was in an unfamiliar position. She took a lot of shots. She didn't really get anywhere near with any of them. Um, she obviously didn't score at all. I think she took 12 shots in that game. I think a year ago, you'd feel like that was something that would then run into this one. Whereas I feel like one of the things that professional athletes do, which I find absolutely bonkers as you know, a perennially insecure person is the ability to... <laughs> put stuff like that out of your head and just go again and perform at a really high level. And I think mm. that's a real sign of maturing and a younger player is, is that ability to do that. And I think that's probably the most exciting thing that, that we've seen from LJ. And yeah, I think she's someone who lots of people for some reason, well, lots of people for some reason read a lot of things in and about her and, you know, her body language and the way she plays and her attitude. But I think, this season at Chelsea, the more responsibility she's been given, she's risen to it. And in Kerr's absence, she's only going to get more responsibility. And this was like a great way to to start and take that mantle on. Yeah, I want to focus again on the nine because Mia Fischel, I thought, had a decent game for, for the time that she was on the pitch. But in the 55th minute or so around that mark, um, Emma Hayes decided to take her off bring on Nuskin and James slotted into that nine role. And that's, I think, when Chelsea started to struggle a little bit because I think the beauty of having Fischl and James together is that James was dropping and providing for Fischl, but she was also running beyond her. And I think that that um, that combination worked quite well for, for the first two goals. But um, I think Chelsea did struggle once Fischl came off and I was texting you like, I'm a bit baffed at this decision. Like, I think Fischl's movement had really dropped and I, I still am not sure like whether it's just a fitness issue or like she, she's struggling to really make the same impact in games for a full 90. But it feels like Hayes, who we weren't sure if she was going to start official in this game, but she did, maybe doesn't fully trust her yet. Yeah, I I don't think she does. Um, I would agree with you. I was talking during the game and I my feeling is, is even when officials not having a massive impact, she's still someone who sort of occupies the centre-backs. But it was interesting when they switched. I think for me, the kind of problem was maybe that Nuskin was the player who came on. I think I'd have preferred to see someone like Kirby if we were going to go and do that. And Kirby eventually mm. did come on for right at the very end and, and play as the nine. And I just think her movement suits that better. The thing that I thought was interesting was you did see LJ being able to sort of peel out onto like my Letizia's shoulder and Letizia was going with her and there was space opening up, but like there's still no one making those runs. And to a certain extent, I guess that's a training thing, but it just feels like no one really understood exactly what runs were supposed to be being made. And you'd get Wrighton or Canarid getting the ball out wide and putting crosses in and there was no one there. Um, and it's like, even for those players, like surely you need to think, okay, well, you know, if uh, we're not playing with a regular nine, I can't just cross in in a straight line. I need to get to the byline and then cut 
back, a bit like JC did for the United goal because, you know, she was the nine and she'd moved out wide. So I can see what Chelsea are trying to do and I don't think it can't work, but it's definitely not there yet. And I'm a bit, I don't know. I don't know how reasonable it is to be like, why isn't it there yet? Because some of the stuff feels quite simple on the surface, but I'm also aware that I'm not a football manager. So <laughs> I might really be like talking up my ass on this, but it just feels like there's some kind of obvious tactical tweaks that the players need to get into their head if they are going to play that system with LJ as the nine. Yeah. Cause we just thought like the natural situation with Kerr being injured was like either official or maybe like Beaver Jones slotting into that position but it does seem like Hayes really wants to go with this James option but it only works if she's got someone else I think to to play with that, that provides her a bit of an option or she can play off them and make those runs there was a lot of boo discourse Becky because the boo, official boo discourse um <laughs> correspondent <laughs> Becky Taylor <laughs> literally that's what I was gonna say like and we go we crossed to Becky Taylor Gill <laughs> correspondent <laughs> But, 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 I think a lot was made of Skinner out, uh, what should I say, Skinner out gate. But I think it was just one sign and one fan in the stand that had it. Uh, I don't know, maybe there was more, but they certainly kept cutting two. And there was a picture on social media of one fan with one sign. But I think a lot was made of the Skinner out sort of movement, which I still think amongst United fans is still a, a vocal minority, but am I wrong, guys? Is it actually gaining traction? I don't know. I think maybe it is just like the same few people that are really, really vocal about it. I mean, there is something to say about it gaining some traction because it it maybe does feel like they're declining a bit, but maybe that's just because they kind of outperformed last season. And actually, if they hadn't have, um, you know, been in the in the talks for like title race and um, Champions League last season, maybe they wouldn't feel so like vocally skin it out this season because they're still building. But I, I think it's I I don't I don't know if you guys saw the the clip of. Um, Rachel Williams, like, telling them to, like, put the sign down. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is interesting because, obviously, like, they still have trust in him. So I think, I don't know. I do think that for now it's still quite a vocal majority, but I'll be interested to see Minority. They, you know, but sorry, minority. Um, but it'd be interesting to see how the season goes and, and how much that gains more people along the way. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, Skinner was asked about it as well post-match. And he said, like, you know, these fans pay their money. They can they 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 can say what they like, etc. Um I think I think there's there's it's almost like a split. It's like there's a, a big group of Manchester United fans who are understandably disappointed with I mean they're 10 points off top at the moment. And I what is it? I think seven points off third. So they are a fair amount behind the pace. Um, so I think they're, they're justified to be frustrated. Whether there are better options out there, 
I don't know. I think we've seen with Chelsea's hunt for a new manager, actually, you've got to dig quite deep to potentially find your future head coach. Um, and so I think I think there's just this transition issue. And we spoke about it so much on the pod, you know, losing Russo, loser, losing Anya Bache, and the reinforcements they've brought in and the fact that they haven't quite worked out, haven't quite gelled. I think that is the issue for Skinner more than anything else really and will a, will a new manager reset that well they're still going to have to start again in a way so i i just i just think city arsenal and chelsea are that so much far ahead in the strategic thinking and that that proper plan and i know what came up again jesse on social media yesterday was martin ho and his absence and we talked about it in relation to bran um, but it came up again because people, United fans still feel like there was a bit of a Michael Beale, Steven Gerrard situation going on there. And he was the real brains behind the operation. And that's been the biggest change, even more so than Russo and Batcher. I think I kind of disagree with that to a certain extent because I don't feel like United are playing that differently. Um, like I've said before that I feel like last season they had stuff that went their way and this season stuff is going their way a little bit less. Um, even then you can see in games like, for example, the draw against um, Arsenal that they still like sort of benefited from two big errors in, in that match as well. So I feel like for me, the concern with Skinner is his squad management and talent ID. And I think it's really bizarre that the disconnect between the players the club are bringing in and the players Skinner seemingly trusts and wants to use. And I actually think, you know, rather than looking with battered eyelashes at Martin Ho, you'd be better off looking at with battered eyelashes at Grace Bloody Clinton because <laughs> how how a player could be playing like that for the, the first half of the season and United think, that that's a player that like can't doesn't have a big role to play in their team. That's the kind of stuff that like I feel bizarre. Like I find it really odd, and just generally like throughout this Skinner's time at United, it feels like there are so many players who are like picked up and then discarded, and you know they're in and they're out. And I feel like to a certain extent, maybe you know. Skinner's not getting the players he wants and then he's getting like players foisted upon him. But then at some point you have to say, well, that's the job you're in. If you don't like it, leave. But while you're there, it just seems so counterproductive to seemingly have this like huge set of players who you never want and you never use. I think what you guys said about, um, you know, then not being this huge like wealth of managers to pick from is like really important to think about and thinking about this because I think even in men's football, I, I think that there's a lot of times where managers get sacked way too soon and haven't been given um, enough time or the right resources or trust from the club in general to succeed it would just be starting from scratch again um, with a new manager who, yeah, in the men's game, there is like, you know, hundreds of like very talented managers to pick from and there just isn't that in women's football. Um, and so I don't, but I, then again, I don't know like how much time 
is too much with, you know, the resources that they have. Um, I've just argued against myself in that, but you know. <laughs> well, I was also going to say, wow, I can't believe Becky's taking my misogynist role for this week's episode saying there's no good matches in women's football. Wow. <laughs> truly <laughs> taking it. But I, I, no, I, I that's I, not what I, I said. No, I, I said there's not a huge amount. No, I get your, I totally get your point. I think it's a, it's a, it's a case of the grass is always greener, right? And football fans suffer from that all the time is there is always someone better who could do a better job. And this was the reason this is why. And I think sometimes, you know, I think I've been thinking about that a lot with like what happened with Patrick Vieira at Crystal Palace and where they are right now with Roy Hodgson. You think about, wow, imagine if the maybe in an alternate universe, the patience would have paid off and the time. I do think in women's football, like I think managers often are maybe granted a little bit more patience because especially historically, like there has been a little bit less hiring and firing, but I think we're in a bit, in a bit of a new era, but I think the, the, the chaos and almost distractions of Manchester United have maybe helped Skinner a little bit because in another position, especially in the men's game, I don't think he maybe would have been granted as much patience at this point in the season. But I do think because they are in this weird transition across the whole club, they've obviously got new investment coming in, new director of football, all that kind of stuff. I think now it's like, okay, there's going to be more football control and football focus in the club that strategically if it, it should guide them in direction. Then if it doesn't, they might need to make a change. But I think there's but then so at many... The same- at the same time, that's then isn't that not exactly the point where you say, well, maybe this is the best opportunity to part to ways? Get, because to get I think the other thing that's like, you know, even looking away from the football pitch is I think we can all understand why like fans don't really like Mark Skinner. And I think that connection is never going to change. I don't really see Mark Skinner ever getting people on side the way that it feels like Jonas has been able to at Arsenal or Hayes mm. obviously has been able to build up over a really long time at Chelsea. And it, it, we often talk about sort of like performances and whether a manager is, you know, getting the required level with the players they have available. And, and I do think, you know, it's right to say that United probably are about where they should be with sort of maybe the investment the club's made. But at the same time, I think, you know, as fans, it's it's valid to want to connect to your manager. And I think that's obviously a big bit of what's happening at United. Like Skinner's not able to, at the moment, sell whatever it is he's trying to do. And I don't think that's, I don't think that changes. And I think that's a big problem. Yeah, it's true. The, the brand of that other managers have, like if you think about, social media, right? Or the pool of the lionesses. So many of Manchester United, Manchester United's fans are tied to Mary Earps, are tied to Ella Toon, are tied to the bond with the club and not necessarily the manager. Whereas, yeah, you're right. Hayes and Idaver, like they have their own individual like stands who are like, I would die for Jonas and like, you know, and I would die for Emma Hayes. But Skinner hasn't really built that. And I think a lot of the trust is in the players and obviously losing Russo and Bache, I think also hurt that trust because a lot of fans would have looked at that and said, what was the role that potentially Skinner played in, in not being able to secure them and huge players leave. One little segue, Chelsea's next game is Real Madrid at home in the Champions League. We're going to be doing our live pod there with Carly Telford. Very exciting. But Manchester United have got to play Man City in the Conti Cup. That is not a fun game. Yeah, that's a, it's a bit of a weird one though, isn't it? Because it's like probably both teams will go through regardless. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I just think with United and Skinner, it, 
it's just like going to be quite a grueling march to the end of the season and I don't think he stays at the end of the season but that's why I just kind of think sometimes I know it's like you're starting again but how long do you stick with something that just feels like the inevitable is going to happen at some point because that's it I just don't it just doesn't it's not going to change is it and you assume City will beat them because City are in such good form at the moment okay that that uh, that is a good point okay I want everyone's predictions Skinner at the end of the season stay or go Jesse you've got go yeah I think I agree I think what Jesse's saying there it's like it's like when you're in a relationship that you're like well maybe I'll get better and then it doesn't and then you eventually break up I think they'll I think they'll realize that they're not meant to be at the end wow. of the season relatable <laughs> <laughs> from the heart uh, okay I'm gonna I'm gonna do the opposite I'm gonna say stay and I'm not just saying that to have a different opinion but I just feel like they're gonna stick it out but We'll see. Okay, let's talk about the special Storm Isha fixture next. All right, this was a Sky... Barclays, 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 Barclays. We had a real, like, double dose of Barclays action, like pure, pure Barclays. So this yes. was the Sunday night Sky special. And I feel like Sunday night Sky late kickoff always has a bit of sprinkly of chaos on it. So we had Jilly Flatty uh, of this parish in the gantry, <laughs> nearly blowing away, sending us a video into the group chat. And listener, if you saw this video, you would not be going to work. I'll tell you that much. Jilly put her life on the line for you guys <laughs> to bring you commentary. So we hope you enjoyed it. And Becky, it was so good. She actually dropped a special counterpress favorite line in there, didn't she? Oh my God. A wobble that was, by the way, from Jilly Flatty <laughs> live on comms. Honestly. It was so good. <laughs> Yeah. So obsessed. The my my favorite clip though from this, obviously love Jilly's shout out though, was Christy Mewis fighting with the corner flag <laughs> slash the ball and having to get the lino to help her and hold the corner flag. It was so good. And I was thinking, wow, Christy, welcome to, to, to the WSL, my friend. This is hilarious. But she played well in the in the time that she came on the pitch, actually. So it was it was good to see her back. Obviously, a mad, 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 mad game. Becky, you were texting us while we were at the FWAs being like, guys, this is just chaos. I didn't I didn't realise that you guys weren't watching. Um, it was just me and Kate texting back and forth <laughs> with nobody replying to us. <laughs> I had high hopes, actually, for this game because it just seems 6.45 on a Sunday in a storm, West Ham Spurs just seems like... Anything could happen. It's a wild and Dagenham, card. And Dagenham brings good oh, Sunday daggers. nights. Because I think we got Kate's goal against Tottenham, the famous have some of that on a Sunday night as well. Oh, it's just daggers on a Sunday, man. Um, I actually, before we talk about the football, have such a funny voice note to share with you guys from Flo Pollock, who you might recognise her voice, listeners, because she does commentary. Um, and this is just like such quintessential chiggy <laughs> hello becky taylor goal i've got a funny experience that happened to me today when i was at the chigwell construction stadium something that would only happen at the chigwell um 
so I had a water bottle that I wanted to fill up before before doing commentary because I, I get thirsty. And I went to the uh, um, food stand. I'm sure you're familiar with it. The one that sells pot noodles, great. Um, and I was, like, oh hey guys, can you can I um, ask you to fill up my water, please? And they were like, yeah, of course. Don't be silly. Oh, actually, no, we don't have a tap. And I was, like, oh okay, no worries. Um, can I buy a bottle of water then? I guess. And they were like, yeah, of course. Here you go. And I was like, great. Can I pay on card? And they're like, oh, no. It's <laughs> six pound minimum. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, do you know where I can fill it up? And they were like, oh, we don't know. So then I asked the steward, hey, do you know where I can fill up my water? And he pointed to like an outside tap, which had like a garden hose extension <laughs> and was like, yeah, you can fill it up there, I guess. And I was like, oh, is that safe drinking water, do you think? And he was like, yeah, probably, I guess so. So, yeah, so I filled up my bottle of water from a garden hose, just kind of attached to the stadium, and drank that all evening. So hopefully that was safe. <laughs> just and perfect. is Flo Pollock still alive? Perfect. I was going to well, say, did she live to tell the tale? I said, hope you don't get the shits from the dodgy chiggy hose water. Um, and then I said this morning, can I play this voice note on the pod? And she said, lol, yeah, of course. So, so she's alive. She's alive. Hey. No confirmation whether the chiggy water gave her the shits, though. <laughs> yeah, but Becky, she would add herself to Barclays WSL shits diarrhea law. So, so it true. kind of would so be worth true. The Barclays WSL <laughs> shit hall of fame, even more illustrious <laughs> than the actual hall of fame. We obviously we have to mention this week as well the aftermath of Reading's dodgy food <sighs> and the impact that had on the oh, cups at King's Wolves. So Reading are going through it in a number of ways, but their food is absolutely also going through not only it, but people. Um, so, <laughs> sorry, maybe that was a little bit too much information. Um, no, that was let's good. Get, let's good get line. back to the game. And also, uh, it doesn't sound like Chiggers is passing any sustainability rankings when it comes to water bottles filling up. Or would you drink cash? hose water from Chiggy Construction Stadium? No, no chance. I would have got chips and a pot noodle and paid the £6. Yeah, I thought that was going to be the story that she had to buy the pot noodle in order just to reach the minimum spend. She took one for the team. No, it's better. But she was so <laughs> anti-pot noodle, she had to drink hose water. I saw her at Chelsea, so maybe she'd fallen, she'd filled up at the Chelsea press buffet already. <laughs> maybe. True, very true. Um, you talked about Grace Clinton earlier, Jesse. Two really nice Grace Clinton goals, one of which probably shouldn't have stood because I think Mackenzie Arnold is right to have complained about the fact that Amy Turner was basically standing right in front of her for that goal. So maybe this should have been three all, but I do think the, um, like, I don't think it helps shake off the West Ham or a bit of a mess allegations, even though they did score three goals. Yeah, West Ham are so weird. Like, they're such a weird team because in so many ways they're not bad, but then they've won <laughs> one WSL game all season. Um, I think they benefited from some kind of strange Tottenham defending slash goalkeeping, which helped. But I think they were also a bit unlucky because I thought the quality of the goals Spurs scored were 
was incredible, really. And I think Clinton's pass is maybe for the second one, for Bizet's goal, is maybe almost better than the goals themselves. And I'm afraid that I think Clinton's second goal is so good that I can't bring myself to object to the offside oh, or not. Oh, Jesse, thing. stop it. I just, I, I hate that stuff. I kind of get it when it's like the goalkeeper was going to get somewhere, but I just don't think any, like, oh yeah, maybe if Mackenzie Arnold had much longer arms, she'd have saved it, but I don't really think it made any difference. Um, so, sorry <laughs> no, guys. I'm not having that. I'm not having I'm that. making, I think that was a fair decision. I stand with whoever the referee was. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think obviously Gory and Mewis feel like they are going to make big differences and I think West Ham will be fine. Um, I think West Ham have a bit of a sort of, United situation, not specifically about their manager, but more about the the way the clubs run. That I just feel like if they continue to sort of go the way they're going at the moment, at some point they will be overtaken and they will be relegated because I think there's only so much any manager can do with sort of the players they've got available. And I know they've made big January signings, but they're all... 30 years old and 30 plus and who knows how long they'll be at West Ham for. Um, but I think, I think it's quite clear that West Ham will probably be fine this season. And yeah, West Ham Spurs is a really like becoming a very iconic Barclays game. Especially after Bristol City's heartbreaking defeat to Brighton. I do think like we've spoken a lot about West Ham's potential relegation threat, but I just think like the quality that those teams down there now have like individual quality of players who will bail them out. I just think Bristol City will really struggle to score enough goals, to see out games, to hold on to leads, even though they are organised, they're a very together, strong team. I just feel like those other ones are going to get enough points. Aston Villa, case in point, like that win over Leicester, like it takes them up to seventh, which is ridiculous really given how much they struggled this season but like when when teams like Aston Villa have enough quality to kind of get them enough wins just to create that bit of daylight and distance I just think Bristol City are really going to struggle even though West Ham and Bristol City are on the same points right now um I don't know if this is good for West Ham or bad for West Ham in terms of relegation um but when it was three all they absolutely looked like the team that were gonna get that fourth goal and win it and it was I th I mean I don't know if it was a shock that they conceded because of where they are but I I think it was against a run of play at, th at that time and I don't know if that's you know good for them going forward is that they they look like they they will get that or it's bad that they looked like they were going to get it and then they just conceded and 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 you know all that hard work went down the drain mm. I think I mean maybe it's just that's time as well like they've only just brought in these new players who obviously have made a difference um and it was a really chaotic game that I think in the end they were unlucky to lose so I, I yeah I've done that again where I've argued against myself <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just sitting on the fence today I think you're right though I think that's what's weird about West Ham that there is this sense that they're sort of put in this permanent bad run of luck um, that they, they can't seem to be able to get out of. And I think that's that's often hard, right? I think if you're in the kind of position that they're in where, you know, it feels like everything's going against you, you're not like, you know, you've only won once in the league. Um, it becomes a bit like perpetuating. And I think, yeah, I think they, they probably will be fine, as I say, but I don't... <laughs> 
the, the team I kind of feel mo- most worried for right now is Leicester. Um, really? They've not won since they've not won since the second week. Yeah, of the they season. had such a good start to the season, but they've really drifted. And they're still picking up points like here and there, but and there's a five point gap. But I don't know. That feels like for a team that everyone was hyping it's spooky up with. Season. It, it yeah, I don't know. It feels like no one's really talking about them, but they're not having a great time of it. Do you remember when we thought they were going to win the league after two after two games? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was exactly. all in. <laughs> Never forget. We got to talk about City because they are looking good. Another hat trick. No, I don't think sure. we do. No. Yeah, we do. We, we, we got to talk, there about, is a talk about conspiracy on this podcast <laughs> that you only bring me in on a Monday when Liverpool have lost. Hey, they scored first. Taylor Hines. in a season, a season in a season where we're playing well and we're in fifth, and you seem to only bring me on <laughs> when we lose. But Becky, hey. if you were booked before the game, maybe it's Liverpool who are conspiring. <gasps> oh my maybe God. they know. Maybe yeah, I'm bad trying luck. to embarrass you. Yeah, because it's, it's t- happening the wrong way round. You weren't oh like God, an I emergency call I quit. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Jesse, I just have one question for you. Manchester City, three points behind Chelsea right now. Are you scared? Um, I don't feel like any more... I don't think scared's the word. Um, I think obviously it's it's close. And I think City are probably the form team, aren't they? Um, they certainly scored an awful lot of goals. Um, but they the love going th- on these runs as well. They've done it before where they just like smash together a crazy amount of wins. But I think it feels different this time. I truly do. The only thing that kind of well, will be interesting to see, and maybe they'll get the sort of United luck, which United had last year, where they've got a very settled 11 and everyone's fit. And they've just sold Julie Blackstart and Dana Castellanos is going and... I look at the rest of that team and I think if any of Hemp, Bunny or Kelly get injured, like, are you going to be okay? That bench and is I, light. It was light uh, anyway. And now they've lost two players. It's looking extra light. And I know they don't, you know, like Conti Cup group stage is coming to an end. Like they might not have, you know, like all these midweek fixtures. They're not in the Champions League. But I think if everyone stays fit, they've got a really good shot at, the cups and the league, but I do think oh my, oh like if I'd be worried if I was City that it's really relying I think on everyone staying fit. Yeah, um, massive sad news last week that Sam Mewis, legend of the game, one of the best midfielders to ever do it. We obviously saw her at Manchester City, and she was so damn good in that period. She's retiring at just. 31 years old. She's had a really bad injury over the last couple of years and has just not managed to come back from it and essentially was told like she can't play football anymore. And there was some really heartbreaking, emotional uh, interview that she did with Men in Blazers and she's joining them as kind of a media uh, sort of women's football editor, which I think is great. I think she's a really funny speaker. We've seen her with Lynn Williams when they were doing snacks. Like she's a great personality and I'm so glad she's going to be doing stuff in the game. But I'm just gutted we're never going to see her play again because she was so good and I think the game will really miss her. Not a good month to be one of Christy Mewis's Sams. Mm, <laughs> so true, man. I know, it's really sad. Two two knees taken out, two Sams. That is really Abolish sad. Abolish knees. Abolish <laughs> knees. We don't need them, okay? Well, actually, you know what? Someone I know, this is only grassroots football and this isn't an ACL podcast, but someone I know 
through physio, has learned to still play football without his ACL. Oh. I know, Ugh. it's really weird. But you can basically do it if you're like grassroots. You couldn't you can't really do it as a professional athlete, especially a professional footballer. But if you don't play like loads, you can basically like do physio to like train anyway, it's bizarre. But he's Maybe me that, that's the funny research we should start demanding on <laughs> Twitter more. You know, everyone wants more research. Why aren't we learning more how to play without ACLs? Then they wouldn't be yeah, so true. No need to prevent but, them if you can play without them. Jesse, Samuels, what player she was, by the way. <laughs> yeah oh it's sad I feel like we can't use that phrase when it's sad Do you know sorry I mean? that was like, mean sorry that I shouldn't yeah retire it um, yeah it it sucks because she was definitely one of my favorite players to watch she thrived in the WSL um I think she's one of those players who like as soon as sort of they get into the league it's like oh my god I can't believe we hadn't watched you play in the league before because it just felt like English football suited her so so well and um you know she was part of obviously a really really exciting um city team even if they did only sort of manage to win the FA Cup in that time but yeah I think you know in some ways it feels like it's been coming for a while it's a long time since she played any football and I guess at least for from her perspective she now gets the opportunity to to move on and um have a new chapter of her her life and career rather than being in that sort of strange limbo when you're like trying to come back from an injury and maybe it's not going to going to happen and I think at least sometimes you know the opportunity to have not really gone out on a high obviously because she's not played for so long but you know to know that like when she was playing it was really at sort of the peak of her career rather than trying to come back and it not really working um mm. but yeah she's obviously like a phenomenally talented and lovely person on and off the pitch and I'm really excited what she does next same 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 um guys that's going to be all for today but we're going to be reunited on Wednesday for the live Stamford Bridge pod who is excited woo woo can't Me. wait and we've got five lucky listeners joining us as well which is really fun and exciting so we'll be putting a little bit of that show in Thursday's pods so look out for that but yes thank you for listening to our Monday show uh, a big one after some big games and we will see you all on Thursday <laughs> <laughs>